back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Help bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. This is Zachary Scott Johnson. Today's episode is a conversation with the great Robert Benton, the writer and the director of Kramer vs. Kramer, which got Meryl Streep her first Academy Award. It also won him two Academy Awards for Best Director and Best Screenplay. As a director, his credits include Bad Company, The Late Show, Kramer vs. Kramer, Still of the Night, which also starred Meryl Streep, Places in the Heart, which won him his third Academy Award for Best Screenplay, Nadine, Billy Bathgate, Nobody's Fool, Twilight, which is not the vampire one, it's the one with Paul Newman, Susan Sarandon, and Reese Witherspoon, The Human Stain, and Feast of Love. Some of his many writing credits in addition to most of the movies that I've already listed, include The Ice Harvest, one of my favorites, Superman, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, which starred Leslie Ann Warren, who was a previous interviewee on this podcast, What's Up Doc, and Bonnie and Clyde. It was wonderful to talk to Robert Benton, and we can't thank him enough for, for being willing to do this interview. As always, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. That really does help. Check out my YouTube project, The Song A Day Project, all one word squished together, The Song A Day Project. And check out Merrill's Theater Company, NeverlandTheaterCompany.com. If you want to send us an email, you can do so at MerrillStreetPodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, MerrillStreetPodcast at gmail.com. We're ready to start the show. Okay, Meryl, are you there? I am. Okay, Meryl. Hi, I'm Robert Meryl. Hey, Robert, how are you? Thank you so much for talking to us today. I'm delighted. Yeah, this is is really fun. We've been enjoying going back. um, Well, okay, so the premise for our show is we go through Meryl Streep's movies one at a time, and this is one of the ones that we both were extremely familiar with. This is the one that we've both seen many times, so we were so excited to revisit it um, after, you know, a, a brief period of time of, of not having seen it. So um, I guess the first question that I had was, when did you start the script for this movie? Because you wrote it, too. What was the development process okay, there's like? there's a sort of complicated backstory to this. Uh, the novel was given to me by a woman named Arlene Donovan, who was an agent at CAA with Sam Cohn, and later became a, a producer for me, with me. And um, I read it, and I thought, it's, it's lovely, but it's not for me, because I'd never done this kind of movie before. I'd done, um, I'd done a gangster movie, or a western, or a outlaw movie, but I'd never done this kind of, this sort of drama. And so I said, what about, Stanley Jaffe, who was a friend of mine, who also produced the first picture I ever directed, Bad Company, was attached to it as the producer. So I called Stanley, I said, would you mind if I gave this to Francois Truffaut, who had done Pocket Money? And I'm an enormous admirer of Truffaut, and Truffaut was really, who we wrote Bonnie and Clyde for. 
certainly didn't want to wait. So, in the meantime, I turned in a draft of uh, a movie that was then called Stab that later became Still of the Night and gave it to Sam Crow, my agent, and he hated it. And so I said, oh my God, what am I going to do? I need to make a living. He said, well, maybe I can get Kramer if, if, you, if you direct it, which, uh, write it and direct it. And I said, fine. And we were traveling in Europe with the, with the Late Show, and the, we were in Berlin, and the phone rang, and it was it was uh, Sam Cohen. And he said, "Okay." Stanley said, "Yes, that would be good. They could. We, he would be happy if you wrote it, and if I wrote it and directed it." And so I came back from Europe, and I spent two months talking to people about it. And I didn't start writing until just about Labor Day. And and the writing went of the the writing went effortlessly because because Avery had written uh, a very cinematic book, and I made I made certain changes. And he gave a whole backstory to the to the marriage and why it broke up. And I started it the night that. Um, she walked out the door and there were other characters in the book and I trimmed it down to where it was it was a, a, a small cast of characters and then in the rewriting I got rid of uh, Jane Alexander's husband Margaret's husband uh, and which upset me a lot because I'd given him a really good scene that I really love and it's hard to cut out the scenes you really love yeah. but, but it was right to cut it out and uh by, I guess, November, there was a script in place that uh, that Stanley had read and that and we had agreed on the changes and we were making the changes. And then at that point, he, he, he had given the script to Dustin and Dustin had turned it down. And somebody had said to me, when somebody turns down a, a piece of material, don't get your nose out of joint. Ask them why. Sometimes it's an easily solvable problem. So Dustin sent somebody over to, to Stanley's office in California, and um, we talked to a very nice guy, whose name I'm afraid I don't remember. And he said he, that Dustin felt the, the character of Ted Kramer was too passive. And I thought, that's an interesting note, and that's an easily fixable note. And it's um, a thing I've done many times in my life to, to write, in the first job, a central character who's more passive than active. And so I, I said, let me, I went back to three weeks to rewrite it, and just, it's like changing something from one tenth into another. And it was not difficult to do. And we sent it off to Dustin again. And Stanley, who was brilliant in this, uh, by arm twisting, said, got, got Dustin to agree to meet. And Dustin was filming a movie called Agatha in London at that point. And, and so I said to him, we, we went to London to meet with Dustin. And uh, I said to him, look, Look, Dustin's not going to do it, but we're going to get a free trip to London. 
out of it. And we got a free trip to London indeed. And we um, we were meeting with Dustin at four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon at the Inn on the Park. And we walked in, Stanley and I walked into the hotel and Dustin was standing in the lobby. And I thought, it's all over. It's absolutely all over. And Dustin said, well, come on, we'll sit and have a, a drink or a cup of coffee or in the lounge. And the maitre d' of the lounge said, I'm sorry, Mr. Hoffman, but we're full now. We have no tables. And I thought, I owe that maitre d' an enormous amount. Because if we sat at that table, we would have never gotten Dustin to the movie. But <laughs> he had no choice but to ask us up to a hotel suite. And when we left three hours later, he was at least interested. I mean, he was. And, uh, and, uh, and then we agreed to meet the next day. And again, it, by the end of the next meeting, we had dinner and he said, okay, I will do it. He committed to the picture. Oh, wow. And he had a, he had a picture that he was doing, something he was doing in front of, he'd, or he'd been working, he wanted time off, didn't want to start it till, till the fall, and, which was fine with us. And, um, and I knew that Dustin had a reputation for improvisation. It's one. He's just, he's, it's a great strength he had. I thought uh, too often you can see the seam in between the improvised line and the written line. So when we were back in New York, we spent a week meeting with Stanley Jaffe, Dustin, Stanley, and I, just going through the um, script scene by scene by scene and and I had a tape recorder and and I listened to the way Dustin talked and I rewrote the character in Dustin's language so that when he improvised there would be no no, no, no tone, tonal shift in the in the writing and that was that was very easy to do I mean it was, it was Dustin's is a very good talker, and he's a very interesting talker. So it, it that that was easy work. And in the meantime, we really began to hammer out who we thought Ted Kramer was. Who the, the three of us were. It was a full collaboration with the three of us. Stanley was Stanley was really brilliant because Dustin and I had a tendency to go off on these wild sort of imaginative terms. What if he was a parachute diver or something like that? I don't know. That, <laughs> And Stanley would reel us back in, and we'd go back to work, and and it was a, it was a terrific way of a terrific time of working. And there was one time, Dustin lived not far away from where I live in New York. And one time, we I forget, we were walking down the street together, and somebody came up to Dustin and said, "Mr. Pacino, I just think you're the greatest actor going." <laughs> and Dustin was so great; he said, "Thank you, I think so too." <laughs> Anyway, so we got the script in shape, and we began the casting process. And um, and the casting process was, the casting almost always was an enormous amount of fun. And we had talked to uh, a lovely actress named Kate Jackson, who was one of the stars of Charlie's Angels. And, and we thought she would be good. Dustin agreed, Stanley agreed. We met with her, uh, and it was, going to start working on a deal. And Sam Cohn said to me, would you please 
as a favor to me, see Meryl Streep. Now, I had seen Meryl Streep in a small role in the Cherry Orchard, and she was wonderful in it. It was a very, right. She was very comic in the role, but she was a wonderful actress. I said, and we cast a party. He said, just see her. So I said, okay. I said to Dustin, I said, will you please just, we'll meet at Stanley's Hotel Suite on one Saturday afternoon. And we'll just, it'll be like a meet and greet. We'll, we will say, we'll be nice, we'll be polite, and we'll continue on our way. Because she's a completely unknown actress. Now, no, by then, nobody had it was before people had heard of the deer hunter when she was brilliant in the deer hunter. And, right. and so it was, I believe, in years and years of making movies, the worst interview I've ever had with an actor anytime, anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know why, but when she left, Dustin turned to me and I turned to Dustin and he said, that's Joanna Crane. And Stanley, God bless him, what, I'm, I'm letting Kay Jackson go out the window for this unknown actress. And he did, he, I mean, it, it really, it, it, it takes part of the expression balls to be a producer and do that. It really yeah. does to throw away a name for a totally unknown actor in, right. in such a major role. And we began, we began casting the boy. Well, we've been casting the boy since late spring and we had we had originally had something like 300 kids came in wow. and met with each of them and talked to them and, and we narrowed it down each time we had like we narrowed it down like five times and there was one kid who was just way too pretty and there was a kid I wanted another kid that Dustin wanted and they kept going out we kept narrowing it down and narrowing it down and, and I was sure the kid I wanted was right I just thought I've got a great notes right I can tell and the <laughs> last we'd had it down to five kids and just was one of the kids and we did a full screen test we rented a sound stage a small sound but a sound stage we had a, a, a scene that was later to become the ice cream scene and then it was a different scene but it had the same general sense of argument and um, I said to Dustin we're all against change the dial improvise do whatever you're going to do because we got to know if these kids can handle what you do because if, if we get into the picture and they can't handle it then we're completely screwed and the right. kid I wanted was lovely but he wasn't he just didn't do it he got thrown by Dustin and the kid Dustin wanted he got thrown by Dustin too, and the one kid who who would when Dustin would change on would come right back at him, and and by the end of it we all knew that it was Dustin Henry. There was no question about wow. it, and um, and it was a long process, but it was an exciting process to go through, and um, and that's how the we had, we had also cast another. We'd given the script. Jane Alexander for the role of Margaret and she turned it down and so we went to another actress okay. and she said yes and we cast her but she couldn't take it she couldn't we went, she was a lovely actress and a, and a wonderful human being but she couldn't take the kind of high the, the 220 volts that Dustin injected <laughs> <laughs> and it just threw her it just it, it wasn't that she couldn't do it it just 
just through her. There was nothing he could do to change himself. And there was nothing she could do to change her. It had nothing to do with talent. And so we said, we're going to have to change the actress. So they said Jane Alexander had become available. And so we asked her if she would do it, and we met with her, and she was great. She was, you know, she was exactly what we wanted. And she could take that, she could take the 220 volts and hand it right back to him. Yeah. Filming had already started when that switch over happened, yeah, right? Yeah. There's a thing about actors that they're like race cars. And that if you ask a, a, a really beautiful driver who drives an SUV to compete against Ferraris, then you're you're loading the deck against them. I didn't know that then. And that you can't take a, a Ferrari and ask it to drive the, alongside a Chevrolet. You just can't, because it, it mucks up the Ferrari. It screws the Ferrari, Ferrari up. And it doesn't make the Chevrolet any better. And, the, and that it, it, I learned then that you have to pay attention to a kind of not a talent. It's not about talent at all. It's 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 about an energy level. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean people who yell at each other. I mean the, that you come to it with a kind of self possession and a kind of ability to know you can take care of anything. And believe me, those actors, Jane and Meryl and Dustin knew that they could take care of anything. And, and that was, it was a lovely film to work As As long as we're talking about casting, um, it, I'm wondering if you can clear up something that's on the internet or rumored about this, which is I saw that Meryl Streep was originally cast in the role, the one-night stand role that Joe Beth Williams played. And no. That, no? Okay. No, not at all, no. She was interviewed for this role. She got this role by the end of, whatever that hour interview of that despicable yeah. interview she had the role well, I've never been through <laughs> like that in my life before or since wow well I'm sure people will be shocked to discover that the internet was wrong about something but oh, I'm sure they will be <laughs> <laughs> Meryl Meryl said in interviews that um, Dustin Hoffman was upset with her for several years after this movie because of things that were said during promotion and I I think um, you know since then what's what happened on set between Dustin and Meryl is, is, is somewhat out there. I know there was a Vanity Fair article uh, several years ago by um, Michael Schulman and his biography of Meryl Streep that I think deals with it a little bit. Can you can you speak to their um, relationship on that? And you touched on it a little bit. I think that they whether they got along, they seem to get along. The the I never witnessed anything that that I felt. I never actually saw anything that Dustin ever did that would have upset Meryl. Once, once he he, we were shooting in a in Joe Allen's no, in, in uh, Mellon's restaurant, and and he knocks the glass off the table, and he's very careful not to knock it in her direction. And and at the end, she said to him. Dustin, I wish you told me ahead of time you were going to do that. And I mean, Dustin, I think none of us realize what a major force Meryl Streep is. Mm-hmm. And, and in, I mean, in the beginning of the movie, 
kind of command that I said to her, I've said this before, I said to her, look, there's a scene in the courtroom, a speech that you have in the courtroom, and it's in Shylock's speech in, in Merchant of, of Venice, and it is, it is where she says, I'm, am I not human? And I, and, and I think the points I made in my, what I wrote were the points I want to hit, but I think I wrote as a man writing a woman. I think you should take that speech that I wrote and put it in a woman's voice. And she said, okay. And I went off and promptly forgot that I said it to her. <laughs> so six weeks later, we're exhausted. We're staggering on the coming to the last leg of the picture. And we're down at the courthouse. And Meryl comes in on the first day of, of shooting. He said, okay, I rewrote that speech. And I thought, oh, what have I done? I'm going to not only lose a friend who's a great actress, but I'm going to... I'm going to slow up the picture when everybody's already exhausted, I, you know. And and she gave me two pages of handwritten speech on a, on a legal pad. And it was perfect. It was too long by about a third. But it was perfect. I'm his mommy. I could never have written. I could have never used that language, okay? And yeah. she, she made the points that she needed to make, but it, she, she did it. And she, and when, when she did it, we started with her. We did some random shots of me, but we started with her. And I said, Meryl, look, this is intensely emotional. Please, we're going to shoot it in wide shots from different angles. Please understand that 99% of this scene is going to be shot in medium shots and close-ups. So please, as they say, save it for the close-up. And she said, mm -hmm. okay. And when the wide shot, she did that part exactly like you saw in the film. So that at the end, when I said cut, it was just dead silent in the room. That sounded wow. like you knew that that a major force had just rolled into this picture. I mean, a major force. And that, and that she, I said, please, that's good, but wait. And she said that. And she did the same again and again and again and again. And even when they turned the camera around, and were, do, were, were shooting the other actor's response to her. She did the same performance. I mean, I, I mean it was, it was, and I've been luckier than almost anybody in the actors I, I've worked with. I think Malkovich and Ed Harris and Sally Field. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I've all been, and Paul Newman have all been extraordinary and great actors. I've been very lucky, but I never had an actor Wow, and wow. you and you worked with her right away. At, I mean, your next movie after Kramer versus Kramer. My next picture was, was her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that I was most curious about with Kramer versus Kramer. This is another thing that I think the legend of this movie uh, might have exaggerated. This might be not exactly the truth either. But it's rumored You're, that are you? Do you think there's stories in movies that are not exactly the truth? I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. I don't know. I think most of the stories, 99% of the stories you hear are, are absolute truth. Anyway, go ahead. What are you going to say? 
Well, you, you've already told me that one of them was not true about this movie. So let's see about the second one. It says somewhere that the original cut of this movie was about 45 minutes longer than it ended. I don't know how being. long, but it was longer. And okay. it was because there were, I had given Margaret a husband. And it was a sex right. story with Ted Kramer and, and Margaret's husband. And I'd written a, a lovely scene, well, a lovely speech, I thought of a divorced man's loneliness for, his, for the wife he divorced. And it went. And uh, there was a long time where we felt we had to show that that Ted Kramer had to hire someone to look after Billy. And if we didn't do it, it would, it would bother people. But they didn't care. And there's a, there's a moment when a picture starts and another moment when the picture begins that you know, okay, now I know what the movie is going to, I don't know how it's going to end, but I know, I, we're, now I know where I'm from, I know what is going to happen. In Place in the Heart, I'd written a long sequence of the funeral of the black man, the black boy who shot the sheriff and of, of the sheriff's funeral, and uh, like two or three other things. And we cut it together, and only when we looked at it, cut together, did we run. The movie only started when Moe, when Danny Glover stole the silver from from um, Sally Field. That's when that suddenly you knew. Okay, now we know what the movie's going to be. It's not going to be about him stealing the silver. It's going to be about him, that relationship, and the only little end to know not the outcome of what they're going to watch know what to look for and what they're going to watch. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what we did is cut enormous amount out of it. It's the Ted Kramer, once Joanna Kramer leaves, the movie's about Ted and Billy. And you don't care about anything but how that relationship's going to work itself out. And, And anything that gets in the way of it is going to, you want to get back to that main story. Because it's it's what's your where your heart is. So did, was it somewhat um, organic for you to start trimming away that I, that extra? I've always believed that the pencil is mightier than the sword, but the eraser is mightier than the pencil. <laughs> that's that's good to know. I mean, one of the things that's fascinating to me about them. We the, could reduce this interview to about thirty seconds. <laughs> No, it's great. One of the things that I love about the movie actually is the way it starts. And, you know, the the opening shot of, of Meryl's character, Joanna, just like in kind of a tortured hell. And one of the thoughts that I had, you know, when I saw that there was some cutaway was a curious a, a curiosity, I guess, of whether there was anything shot that was intention to be before that, like kind of showing any sort of um, kind of like happy family starting never, out never, the story. Yeah, and, and that's a much never. better choice. I knew, I knew that that it, that was a real, the story has to start with this explosion. Right. I I love and, that choice. And, and then you deal with the fallout of the explosion. Yeah. For the rest of the movie. What Meryl says with her eyes in that opening shot tells you yeah. everything about that movie. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you, just, you sit there and watch her. You, it, 
Oh. <laughs> we had to go back and loop her. Boy. Wow. See, oh, now wow. there's there's a little See, chestnut it, people don't know. Yeah. Yeah, is it, is it true that you all filmed sequentially for, for Justin? Is it true? Or did what? you actually start with that? Did, did you film that you filmed um, the, the script in, in, in order, basically? In we shot order. it in order for, for because of Justin. I think that right. was a de- decision that Stanley, and it, it cost Stanley some money to do that because um, there was no shooting somebody out and getting rid of them. We were there in there for a long haul, but, but Stanley understood that because of the boy. Stanley had produced a movie called Bad News Bears, so we was used to, to dealing with with children. And he knew the importance of, of following the sequence. And in fact, as the, as the, 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 the food fight between Billy and I mean, the actors contributed an enormous amount to this picture. They really did. And the, the food fight was originally about Billy not eating a Salisbury steak. And I came in <laughs> the morning, we were going to shoot it. And Dustin came through and said, don't say no. His first words every morning were, don't say no <laughs> until you listen to me. And, and so he said, look, I, this happened with my daughter the other night. And I worked on it with Justin. Just watch and see what it was. And it was the whole thing about Justin going to get the ice cream out of the freezer. And I, you couldn't resist the scene. It was so much better than the scene I'd written that it was uh, it was a phenomenal scene. And Dustin and the, and Justin got to it on their own. I mean, Dustin did the heavy lifting in it, but the boy was great in it. He was really great. I mean, he gave back as good as he got. His performance is really so impressive for, for a young kid. Because he, it is, because he had that ability to put himself there and not be awed, but not, he just did it. He had this kind of great imagination. How he did it, I don't know, but he was brilliant. He, I think mm-hmm. in that sense, the things that made, of the things that, made Kramer the success it was. I think Justin's performance has been relatively un- underrated because it's he's just the glue of the piece. He's so present in the picture. Right. Whether he's there or not, and his changes in are, are so good, and he never, never goes over the top. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And a lot of that is Justin. Is Dustin. A lot of that is the, the work Dustin did with him. Yeah. As we were shooting. What was the uh, Oscar experience like for you personally with this film? I mean, it couldn't have done any better. What was that? Was that fun at that point, or was that kind of a chore going through that whole? It was hard because it was so intense. Yeah, that it was just—it was incredibly intense. So that by the time Saturday got there, I was asleep. I don't mean it was not rewarding. It just was—it was a moment when in the scene between Dustin and the boy where he's explaining why Joanna left and that that we talked about it and, and, and Dustin will shoot forever if you let him and there's a moment after about four takes where he said I can't do anymore this is as good as I can get and I said fine it's plenty good and and because I let Dustin go I, I would say okay you want to do something else? one more he'd say always he would say yes but that time it, it's just 
intensity of that, uh, especially for for Dustin, was uncanny. Yeah, that kind of takes a, a a physical toll on everyone. It did, but also perhaps when you know when you feel like it's good, you know, you feel like it's good, and there are times where. I kept thinking, this is the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. Well, we were, my wife and I were <laughs> scheduled to go away to Europe when the picture finished. And somewhere in the middle of the picture, I came home and said, let's cancel the vacation. Uh, because not only is this picture not any good, I'll never work again after this. Oh, wow. And I forgot I said it. And I came with the day the picture wrapped. I said, okay, let's go. And she said, I cancel the trip. And she I do that in every picture, and since then she's wisely, you know, paid no attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've you've talked about the sort of deep level of collaboration on this film, and and you, you know, you really tailored Ted to Dustin Hoffman. How much transformation did the character of Joanna go through once you had Meryl Streep on board? It just became Meryl. I mean, at, at some point. She didn't, she knew the character. She didn't need me to write her character. She needed to kind of outline what the character was. And she followed it. She was meticulous in following the dialogue. But early on, I understood that she was, she was a heavyweight in the picture. She matched Dustin toe-to-toe. And that Mm -hmm. she, there was no, I mean, I've always allowed actors uh, freedom. I mean, Arthur Penn once said to me, when he's gotten what he wants, he always turns to the actor and says, look, if you want to try something else, we'll try what you want to do. And I've done that a lot of times. Most of the time I do that. Because I don't, I don't like the actors to feel like I'm putting them under a gun. I think the object is to get, is to give actors a freedom to know that the character up on the screen is the character they believe in they want to believe in. Not a, whether it's Dustin or Merrill or Malkovich or Ed Harris or Sally Field or Paul Newman, whatever it is, they, there's a moment where they know the character better than I do. Altman taught me that. Altman taught me more about direction than anybody else. He said there's a moment where you've got to understand, you may be the director, but the actor really understands the character. And if you don't trust the actor, then you destroy that thing in them. It's a very life of a performance. Right. So in a way, the most important decision you make on a movie is casting it correctly. Yes, you bet. Yeah. And that's one reason I love casting because you, it's just like Christmas every day for about six weeks. Yeah. Because you see, you know, <laughs> you see these extraordinary talented people come in and, and it's thrilling. Yeah. There are a lot of good actors out there. A lot. Yeah. Well, actually, in a same in a similar vein. So, our podcast being Meryl Streep focused, we tend to look at the the work of actresses, and um, most you've worked with a lot of the really great ones between Meryl and Lily Tomlin and Sally Field and Jessica Tandy and Susan Sarandon and Nicole Kidman. I mean, you you're the list of actresses you've worked with and directed is really impressive. Are there any actresses working out there today that you would be ex- especially oh, sure. excited to work with? I would love to work with Kate Winslet. Oh, okay. I think she was one of the most wonderful actors I've ever witnessed in my life. 
Yeah. This, did you see Marty? No, I haven't. Oh. Oh, it's a brilliant film. Go out. Stop. Hang up the phone right now. <laughs> Go see Marty. The actress uh, who plays the lead in Marty is one of the most perfect performances I've ever seen. Wow. I mean, I just, I fell in love with her. I mean, she's just, she's just thrilling to watch. Thrilling to watch. Samuel Merrill is thrilling to watch. It, it's not about a reviewer performance. It's about a, a performance that has, a, she finds the inner life of the character, or she makes me believe she's found the inner life of the character. She, she, she makes me, I think she knows the character better than the character knows himself. Interesting. Um, yeah, I just want to insert for anybody who might be listening to this and would be curious about it. Uh, the woman who plays the role in Maudie is Sally Hawkins, who is who's a really wonderful actress. Unbelievable. Yeah, she's great. She is fantastic. She is fantastic actress. I mean, I, I just, I think I've seen a good actress that nobody has the ability to surprise. I can appreciate it, but. Nobody has the ability to surprise me. She surprised me. Wow. And so did Ethan Hawke. But she surprised me in some, maybe because I'd never seen her before. Wow, she surprised me. She's, was, she's really nothing great. Nothing happens, and she, they make it happen. They, it's the actors just, and the director. It was brilliant. It's brilliant work. Cool. Well, yeah, that's at the top of my list to see now. She's one of those actresses who's been giving those kind of performances that like not not everybody is seeing but the people who are are just crazy about she's been doing that for a few years now so she might be wow. one of the big ones to watch yeah she is. yeah she's really wonderful yeah um one of the things that i was also kind of curious about this looks at your filmography more overall rather than specifically kramer versus kramer but um when you look at your entire filmography most most of Please the don't. <laughs> No, most of the movies that you've <laughs> most of the movies that you've made have been really well received. But are there any movies? Some of some of the movies. You don't remember the pictures that are well received. You remember the pictures that weren't well received. That's the way you remember. The stars you carry with you. The, the, well, that, that's plotted, They did disappear. That's kind of where my question is. I still have the scars. Yeah, that's kind of where my question is. What is something that you worked on that you felt was maybe underseen or maybe underappreciated? Is there something that you think is a hidden gem? I don't think I've ever been underappreciated. Okay. I think when when I've been wrong, and I'm not going to say what pictures I thought uh, worked good because a lot of people broke their ass to work very hard on those pictures and the mistake wasn't their mistake, it was my mistake. And consequently, you know, I can't, say something bad about a picture that doesn't tell a lot of people who care deeply about it and did the best work they could. Right. Even though I wasn't up to it. Yeah. Well, can I give a hidden gem in your in your uh, catalog from my point of Whatever. view? Which is your writing on The Ice Harvest. I love that movie. And I feel like Thank people you. didn't appreciate that movie quite as much when it came out as they should have. I think it did it it did well, but I don't think I think that's a movie that was really, really good and really interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it is. It's fantastic. Thank you. I forget about that picture all the time. That's nice to hear. I really appreciate it. You um obviously Kramer versus Kramer swept swept the Oscars. <laughs> um what what was that experience like? Was it 
was it a gratifying a gratifying experience to go through that? Was there was there you know a campaign process the way there is now in Hollywood? I don't. I mean, I remember it was. We knew that we were up against all that jazz, which was a wonderful and a very deeply original movie. And Fonzie was a friend of mine, and we were up against breaking away. And I forget what the other pictures were, but um, I, you know, the two years before, I was nominated for Lecce, and I knew I wasn't going to win. I knew it was Annie Hall and Julia were going to win. I just knew it was just clear. But I had such a good time because I knew I wasn't going to win, and I just enjoyed myself so much. And I wasn't sweating it out. That it, it, you know, I don't know. I mean, it obviously felt very good. I'm not going to say that it didn't. It, it, it's, I'm afraid the problem with me is I don't remember the good times as much as I remember the bad times. <laughs> Apocalypse Now was another big one that year. That was up for what? a lot of awards. Yeah, Apocalypse Now, was, the Francis Ford oh, Coppola movie. Right. I forgot. Apocalypse Now is really a good movie. I mean, a really good movie. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so original. There's no strain in it. And there's a lot of it. It's it, it's just I loved Apocalypse. I mean, I love I love that group of movies, Godfather 1 and Godfather 2, and those, that period of complex filmmaking was thrilling work. I'm, I'm curious if you have any projects in the work right now that you can speak about. Yeah. That's a project I'm trying to avoid by talking to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, yeah, there are, there are two projects. Um, I don't talk about projects that are in the works because, sure. because it's, sort of bad luck to talk about them. But there are two projects <laughs> that uh, I'm anxious to finish and get them done. Are you, um, do you have any plans to get back in the director's seat? It depends. I mean, in theory, I, I do. But but the object is to really, you know what I've discovered over the years, that what I love is making things. And if mm-hmm. I'm only able to make scripts, I'll make scripts. If I'm only, if I'm able to direct, I would love to do that. But I will do whatever shows up if, if it's something I want to do. Well, I look forward to them. I hope they come to fruition. You don't look forward to it as much as I do. Yeah. <laughs> that's, prob- that's probably and true. It, actually, as much as my wife does here, that gets me out of the house. <laughs> do, you, do you go see many, many movies? Are you yes. a. Yeah? Yes. I, uh, I'm a big fan of Ghost Story. Oh, okay. I'm a fan of. Women Who Kill. The movies have started, there was a time in the late 50s, early 60s, where the movies I started to watch were always the European film. In particular, the, 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 the usual set of directors, the, the French directors, the Italian directors, Bergman, Kurosawa, Olmey, uh, Fellini. But now, the, where I've started looking, is for the pictures that get reviewed in small reviews at the back of the New York Times on Friday. Yeah. There are some inter- really interesting pictures there. They're not burdened. I mean, Ghost is a lovely film. And Samadhi's a lovely film. I mean, I, I think so far she's a leading contender for an Academy Award. I think that, but Ghost Story is an original, affecting, lovely film. 
lovely films. Cool. And those are the people I'm watching now, not not the big director, not even, I haven't seen that many of the European films that I've loved as much as I love the, the small, uh, you know my favorite movie last year was Patterson. Oh yeah, that was good. It's a staggeringly good movie. It's yeah. brilliant, brilliantly done. And it's a, the voice stays and remains and it's constant and it's never begging for your attention. You're watching the work of a master filmmaker. Yeah. It's a lovely, lovely film. Yeah. No, that was a good one. Um, okay, since we're a Meryl Streep podcast, excluding the two movies that you did with Meryl, do you have favorite Meryl Streep performances? I won't say that. No? Okay. I would, that would be, no. First of all, I couldn't reduce it to one or two performances. I mean, if you look at the breadth and range of her work, it's like saying, is, is, there, is there one or two Paul Newman films that you think are the best? <laughs> It's you know, a it's a hard job. We're trying to do that. The Paul Newman of, of, of the Sting, and the Paul Newman of Hud, and the Paul Newman of the Pool movie, which I think these Hustler, the Hustler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are radically different, and they're all brilliant performers. And you can't just say, "What are the one or two Paul Newman movies?" Because it's misleading. Because it's the breadth of his work, and that's true of Meryl. Yeah. It's the best of her work that is so astonishing. Yeah. Do you ever run into her? No. No. I, don't, I live in New York. I don't run into. I don't run into that many actors. No. <coughs> or else if they're trying to avoid me, I don't know which it is. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. I hope not. Yeah. Well, thank you so much t- for taking You're very welcome. Thank the you. time I'm out this morning. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It was quite an honor to, to talk to you. We appreciate it. And we, we loved revisiting Kramer versus Kramer, and we're going to do Still of the Night next. Thank you. I appreciate it. I <laughs> loved her performance. I loved, you know, working on Still of the Night. Yeah, yeah. Well, it really, truly has been an honor. Thank you. Thank you for all of your work. Thank you. I've you really are been, brilliant. I, and it's kept me away from getting into a little writing, so that's yeah well we're sorry to take you away from your work we didn't know we were doing that but uh thanks for taking the time out we appreciate it yeah have a good day thank you you too thanks bye-bye that's all